0: For those of you who have your Bibles, let's take those and we'll turn to Matthew chapter 5. We really do want to say, again, thank you in a few different areas. And, and um, it really has been encouraging and amazing to see the way that people here are just responding to what Jesus is doing in, in our lives. And you can see that in, in two key ways. Number one, to have all of these people volunteer their time, and what Vicky just mentioned there, the crew that was out there to do the shingles yesterday, uh, the crews that have volunteered time and energy to go into the wine's house and to, to work there, to go over to Don's, uh, to help Josh you know, bring his five-kajillion-pound wood stove down into his basement yesterday after all of that. You know, that's a good sign, isn't it? I mean that's an encouraging sign to see that that teenagers are up at you know the crack of nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and they're helping to do this. All right, that's good stuff. That's a really good sign, and I'm encouraged by that. Do you want to know what the other really good sign is? Other really good sign is that some people are letting us actually do that for each other. Isn't that harder sometimes? to actually let somebody know that you need help. We're New Englanders, right? As New Englanders, we would we would love to help you. I'd I'd love, man, are you tell me what your need is I'm right there. But boy, I'll tell you what, the harder, much much harder thing is to actually let someone else help me. And that just shows that Jesus is doing something very countercultural right here among us. We're not perfect at it. There's some of you who still haven't let us know where we can help. But but there's more and more of that going on and these are signs of health. They're signs of humility. They're signs of growth and I just want to say I love being part of this church family for that. Jesus is working among us, people like us with the needs and the brokenness that we all have. So we're grateful for that we're praying for that i did want to um i know josh was going to do this later i'll have to make sure i mentioned he might do this a second time but uh, i just want to say thanks to tom and sally uh, for really coordinating uh the teams that have been going over to the wines house now tom and sally are headed out of here after this week and we, if we could figure out how to actually shackle them here we would do it because we love tom and sally uh... Alright, we are. Good. Thank you. Sandy's on top of that one. So but again, Tom, Sally, thanks so much. We really appreciate you guys. We love you guys and we're thankful for the energy and work that you guys have put in. If you don't know who Tom is, just look for the tallest guy in the room. And if you don't know who Sally is, look around the the lower end of the range. You'll you'll be able to tell who they are. They're a great couple and we really love you guys. So thank you for that. And as Tom mentioned last um Sunday night we had our our dinner, and what a great time that was to hear the testimonies, just to hear people share about how Jesus is working in their lives, the doors that are, are open and uh, Tom and Sally were sharing a little bit about headed out of here and then their plans for next year, how they've created a kind of a snowbird missional community so that when the group comes back into the area, they can connect and live in community on Jesus' mission as a family of servants uh, together while while they're here too. So, uh, again, I'm grateful for all those that participated last week. That was uh, just a neat time. I hope that if you didn't make it last week for dinner, why don't you just have a couple people over and do the same thing we did? You don't have to have, you know, 30 couples over, but if you just had one or two over, and just talk about how Jesus is working in your life. I know for some of you that would be stretching, but you know what? We're family. And family cleans the house a little bit, but family doesn't have to have a perfect house. When we cook for each other, family doesn't have to have a perfect Martha Stewart meal. I don't even know if Martha Stewart's on the radar anymore. Uh, But but it doesn't have to be something too impressive, because we're family. And we're just growing in that, and we're taking steps, step by step, right? So... So I just want to encourage us with that. I'm really grateful for the way that Jesus is working. We're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're, we're preaching through the Beatitudes. So what I want to do is I want to just go ahead and do our scripture reading today from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through, um, 10, uh, 1 through 12. And then we're going to go ahead and lead into our, our sermon. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those This is God's Word. let to God. Why are we going through the Sermon on the Mount? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is written to people just like us. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus speaking as the rabbi, and he's trying to help people understand, you know what, if Jesus was your king, this is what you would look like. These would be the signs of hope. So when he says blessed, we keep using that term congratulations. This is what you're hoping to find in your life. Now, part of what he's doing is he's also throwing this in a contrast because we know that there were a group of people who really thought, wow, God, you must be so pleased with me. Have you seen how hard I've worked? Do you see how well I dress? Do you see who I am, God. I am a dedicated follower of yours. Have been all my life. Jesus is speaking these truths to that group for an intended purpose. Because we also know that there's another group that's standing around here, and that would be the group that would sit there and say, you know what? I'm not very good at this, it's almost like I'm broken. These would be the tax collectors. These would be the sinners. These would be the people who, who came into the day thinking, huh, if, if only someone like Jesus could accept someone like me. So I'm sure there's some scale in between those two points. But on one side, you have those that say, God, could You ever Could you ever accept someone like me? And then you have a group over here who sit there and say, God, in a sense, you're lucky to have someone like me. Those people over there are the problem with society. They are leading to the moral decay of our nation. They're the problem. If people could just work and give themselves to this like I have, then we would have a different place. So Jesus is preaching and He's bringing these truths because He wants to reframe all of this. He wants to reframe all of this. Ray Ortland said this. He said, you know what? The Beatitudes sketch out a portrait of what repentance looks like and feels like in sinful people like us. Real Christianity is for sinners in repentance and for them only. Real Christianity is for people who have failed so badly that they have no bargaining chips left and they refuse to fake it. They are bringing their need to God and He is giving them Jesus. They not only need Jesus, they have Jesus freely and forever for all that He is worth. That's why we're looking through the Beatitudes, and we come today to another one. Remember that we said the first three Beatitudes kind of show us the type of heart that someone comes to Jesus with. Now, this includes someone who's coming to Jesus for the first time, and this also includes someone who just continues to walk in Jesus, but they're poor in spirit, aren't they? They mourn their sin. And they're meek. No matter what comes at them, they don't have to fight back anymore. They don't have the strength to fight back anymore. But what what shows up to them, what shows up to us, is not how good we are. are. Are you with me on this? Do you feel this in your life? Instead of walking in going, wow, look, man, out of the ten things that Jesus said to do, i got nine of them instead we tend to look up and think god i'm really aware more and more of my brokenness and sinfulness i see it more i mean if this was a sport you might think i'd be getting better as i went but this is more like golf where it seems like i'm getting worse every time i play i'm more and more and more aware of my deficiencies And yet Jesus says if that's the kind of heart that you have, you're right on track. So the first three Beatitudes show us our deficiencies. But then we have this fourth one in verse 6. Blessed are those, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Suddenly we stop looking just at ourselves and we turn and we look to Jesus. And we hunger and thirst for a righteousness not of our own, but instead of righteousness that comes. And what is it that Jesus promises? They're going to be satisfied. They're going to be filled with that righteousness so today what we saw last week and what we'll see this week and next week is we see the overflow when somebody who comes with nothing comes to jesus and he gives them everything there's an overflow in their life that begins to pour into other people's lives and this is the second thing that begins to overflow the heart of a believer last week we saw mercy why because i've received such mercy i can freely give you mercy but this week we're going to see what purity in heart looks like. Now I could picture somebody when we when we read this, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." The pure in heart. Someone might read it and say, "Ah, oh, I got you now. I knew this is going to come back to what I did and did not do. I knew that what was going to happen here was going to be about my works." What, what, this this word pure. Free from dirt. Clean. The opposite would be dirty or foul. This is the the, the way that we think. This is where the typical term would come in. we, We think, okay, all of a sudden I go back over to this pile, right? I sit there and see all my deficiency. I see, well, I am not pure. I am not clean. I am dirty. I am foul. There's parts of me that are really, really broken in this. So it's easy to assume what Christianity really is just about all that I do or don't do. But let's look at this. I want to ask really two questions. What does it mean to have a pure heart? And second, what does it mean to see God? So when we talk about pure that way, when we talk about what I do and don't do, what word here in this beatitude changes all that for us? Now don't you love a question like that? Because now you're supposed to read my mind. Because you know I have one specific answer. And and you're probably going to try and guess it. But if you were to say the word heart, you'd be right. Heart. Josh is right. Okay. The key here is this word heart. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. Heart is a critical term. You've got to understand, we talk a lot about maybe the difference, and, and it's a false dichotomy. We'll admit that straight out. In other words, there's other ways to look at this. The, the word is not always painted this way, but religion. There is a proper way to use that term, but for so many in our culture today, religion is such a negative term. And so often in our culture today, what religion refers to is what I do. The actions I take. The things I don't do. The actions I won't take. And we we look at all of those things. But what we've got to understand is even though religion really focuses on what I do, the bottom line so often with religion, the thing that turns us off is to see people that seem really inauthentic. Right? Isn't authenticity really important to us today? Well, we're, we're watching the news and we see Tour de France winners people that we've maybe even looked up to that, that achieve these superhuman feats on a bicycle, and yet we find out that for years they've been taking drugs to make them superhuman. Or, or maybe it's assistant football coaches who start charities to help kids protect kids and yet are physically and sexually abusing kids. Maybe it's Zumba instruction, in, instructors who, who say that they're 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 bringing health and physical fitness when they're not they're running prostitution rings out of their businesses and and then the even the the um the internal right inauthenticity of the people whose names are on the list that we're kind of wondering are those names going to be revealed people who are sitting wondering is this going to come public our culture doesn't really love a whole lot of inauthenticity that this this kind of hypocrisy do we. Yeah, that's our that's our that's our wobbly fan. That's probably not going to work, man. There's people underneath there. We don't want people to die. Ben Ben's a great guy, and uh, we don't want a fan to drop on him. So, but we can open some windows if we want to if we want to do that. So, but um, but when we think through this, what we want is people that are honest and true. Don't you? Doesn't it bother you when you know that someone's a hypocrite, when they're a fake, when they're a phony? doesn't it bother you even more when you find out that you're the one who's a fake? When, When you really look inside and you know that religion calls me to act this way, so what do I do? Even if I don't have the right heart, I fake it. Even if if my heart doesn't want to do it, I do the right thing and I console myself. I mean, one of the dangers for us when it comes to this area is we can read this and say, blessed are those who do right things. The pure, blessed are the pure. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said actually, blessed are those that have the right heart. You ever feel like maybe a hypocrite in your marriage? Things that you standards that you hold out for your spouse that you don't live out for yourself? You ever feel like a hypocrite maybe with your kids? What about a, a sibling? What about your parents? I'm never going to be like my dad. Right? I'm not going to be like that person. And yet when we look up, we find out that we're them. I mean, that's the challenge right here. The the harsh thing about this passage and one of the hard things about preaching through it for us is to go through this, we keep coming back to it going, wow, I really am more broken than I thought. I don't like what I said to that person last night. I don't like what I thought about that person last night. And then what you're saying to me here is that Jesus isn't just calling us to deep religious commitment. What we're saying, if I'm tracking with you, Mark, what you're saying to me is that Jesus actually wants me to have a deeply affected heart. Is, is, is that what you're saying? It's not me. I'm just repeating what Jesus is saying to us. Let's remember, though, Jesus is not saying, get that right heart. Have a heart lobotomy so that your heart will do what I tell you to do. Instead, this should drive us back to those first three and say, wow, I am so broken. What do I need? I need need a hunger and thirst for righteousness outside of myself. Jesus, I need you to bring. I need you to meet me here. I need you to come to me. I need you to help me. Because I understand my brokenness. What I can't stand, what I can't do anymore, Jesus, I can't go on just trying to look good without actually changing. It's killing me. It's eating my soul out. Have you felt that? Do, do you know those places? Just to, to catch Jesus on this, in, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus talks about the heart. And He says this, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So that word you said, that angry word you said, that accusing word that we said, it, it, it's not that that person made you angry. It came out of the pool of anger that's inside of us. Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that's what defiles somebody. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This, Jesus says, are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile anyone. It's not just my actions that actually make me broken. It's my heart. It's who I am in the deepest part of me. And part of what I want to do today I know is uncomfortable, but to call us to really consider do you, do you know this? Do you feel this? What, what happens is uh, there's, this, there's this transformation. Uh, Paul Miller describes it the way. Uh, Norm emailed me this week. I was so thankful he did because he reminded me. He said, hey, check out The Praying Life by Paul Miller, which all of you should do. You should read it, okay? So uh, you got a homework assignment for next week. Um, <laughs> but in part of this, Paul Miller is describing what happens. And he says, you know what? Here's what happens. And, I, and, I, and I, I don't want this to happen to us. But he says, my heart gets out of tune with God. But life just goes on. So I continue just to perform and say Christian things. But those are just words. And I begin to talk about Jesus Without the presence of Jesus, there's a disconnect between what I present and who I am. My words sound phony. And this is where this begins to shift. All of us have experienced this at some point. But listen to the shift. There's a disconnect between what I present and who I am. My words sound phony, so you know what? Others' words sound phony, too. In short, my empty religious performance leads me to think that everyone else is phony. Do you see where sin begins to impact? This is why this is so important for us to wrestle through. Because when there's a disconnect in my heart, I assume the same of you. So when you talk about how Jesus is working in your life, what do I think? Phony. Liar. That's not true. Notice how sin takes it away from where I am and what I need really, truly. And where does it point? I've got to establish this bulwark. I've got to create a safe place for my soul. And the only way to do that is to turn the weapons, right? A good offense? Yeah, it's a good defense. How subtle our souls are at attacking that. But let me say this. God wants more for you. God wants to actually move in work inside of there he has not given up on you jesus instead comes and he says let's let's talk about your heart let's talk about your heart i want to come to the deepest part of you i want to i want to touch you where you really are jesus comes to you that way today So I don't know your past. I don't know what you've struggled with this week. But I can tell you that probably many of us are in the place where we might think, I know how to say it right. I know what to listen to on the radio. But this morning when we're singing these great and glorious truths... We sing about, I see His love and mercy washing over all our sin. I really struggle to rejoice in that. But God wants more. That is a divided heart. When we use this term pure, Jesus more often talks about a divided heart. Pure is not just right actions. When Jesus is calling for a pure heart, He's calling for a heart that really says, God, Jesus, You're all I need. That's what I I need You. You're it. We tend to, to cut that in half. Well, Jesus, I need You, but I also need this. And then we worship this. But what does he say in James chapter four? The the application, maybe the outflow of some of this, is purify your hearts, you what? You double minded people. All sin involves a splitting of, of our personality, a dividing of who we really are. I don't know if you think of it that way, but you're taking the whole you and you're splitting it. And it's probably not surgical. It's probably more like splitting wood. It's just going to have damaging effects to your heart. What was it in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven though that Jesus said? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So when Jesus is calling for a pure heart... He's giving us the same warning that we saw in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Be careful. So there's a warning in here. There's a warning for our hearts together today. And we remind each other of this today. Because it is today. And tomorrow we need to remind each other again. Please don't read this as Jesus saying, okay, you guys, do what I tell you to do. Instead, it goes so much deeper than that. Jesus says, have the heart that I want you to have in your heart. Follow me. Lean on me. Know me. That's what Jesus is calling us to. So how do we get that pure heart? Where does that pure heart come from? Do you ever struggle with this? What do you do if you look up and go, you know what, man, my heart this week has been really split. Well, I think we, we take the cue of Scripture and we just take it and we say, Lord, would You unite my heart? God, would, would You bring my heart together? Give me one one focus? Isn't that weak feeling? Because what we might say at this point is, okay, well, I'm going to go on a crusade with my own heart. and I'm going to remove all of these bad things from my heart. And if I go after this and after that and after this and if I get rid of TV and if I get rid of the radio and if I move into a white room with padding on it, then my heart will be clean. And and I will get blessed. Let's remember, that's not the order. The order here is you are blessed as you see your heart becoming more and more unified on Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, work harder for this. Jesus is saying, hey, let me do this. I'm the only one who knows how to take care of your heart. Kathy had a little uh, work done with her heart recently, right? You wouldn't let me do that, would you? You're smart. That would be ridiculous. It would be crazy. And you wouldn't do it yourself, would you? No. What do you need? You need somebody who knows what they're doing to come in and reorder the heart. To bring health. Please see that what Jesus is doing is saying, I'm not calling you just to be this. I'm doing this with you. I'm doing this for you. I'm the one who does this work. So what's our great response in this? How often do we just back off and sit there and say, Jesus, would you just change me? I need help. That's why why these beatitudes are for repentant, broken people. You might be here today saying, how am I going to pay for this? I've got to pay for this. And Jesus is going to say, you can't. Will you just come to me? Will Will you mourn over your sin?" Will you be broken enough to be able to just admit it that this is where I am? God, this is who I am. This is what I struggle with. Can you help somebody like me? This is not the place to exert twice the effort. Because exerting twice the effort probably creates twice the problem. We clean up the outside, but we can't change the heart does that make me powerless no because what what, what's what's going to be part of it a as I ask God to work in that part of my life he's going to call me to be part of the answer to that prayer isn't he he's going to ask me to repent of that sin he's going to call me to get others involved in the process with me he's going to help me with that process he's going to call me to his word why do you have a brain you have a brain so that you can look and say, wow, Jesus is all I need. That's, that's what the Bible's for. That's what my brain is for. It's what you're made for. The problem is, is so many of us think, oh, okay, well, if I ask Jesus to work in my life, that means I just sit back and I wait for Him to change me. But if I'm leaning on me, I'm leaning on the wrong person. Amen? If you're leaning on you to change you, you're leaning on the wrong person. Let me give you a warning. If you're worried about everybody else's spiritual health and and how their soul is doing and you're policing that, you're in bad shape. The Beatitudes are not, hey, you need to make sure everybody else's hearts are here. The Beatitudes are, do you see this kind of brokenness in your own life? Even today, some of us might be sitting here thinking, boy, I hope so-and-so is paying attention, or yeah, they're really messed up on this, or, or all these types of things. Where does Jesus start this work? He starts with this saying, Jesus, please change me. But will He do it? Yes. And how will He do it? He'll bring all sorts of things into your life. Painful things. Shattering things. Heart purifying things. Because he loves you. So, what's a pure heart? A pure heart is a heart that says, Jesus, you're all I need. Do you see that just growing in you? I do. I really do. As I look around this body, I see people who more and more say, Jesus, you're all I need. And you're leaning on Jesus more. So let's just ask this question. What does it mean to see God? Because, I mean, this could sound a little anticlimactic. So Jesus, I find purity of heart Unity of direction. Singleness of purpose. I am looking all of my life at You. And and You are what I live for. And in the end, I get to see You. What does that term see really mean? Well, let's let's just kind of pull it apart for a second because I think we need to expand on this. The first one I want us to see is that word see is more than just a visual looking. I'm going to use Scott as an example. Because again, Scott's a good looking guy. I think i have embarrassed a little bit. But but Scott's a good looking guy. And to get to see him, that would be really important. If someone were to call up to Scott or to his office tomorrow morning and say, I'd like to see Scott it's unlikely they're going to fax a picture of Scott to them. As nice as that might be. (laughs) Scott, what do they mean when they call up and say, I'd like to see Scott today? Yeah. They want to get into his presence. They want to spend time with him. I want us to see first that when we talk about seeing God... The first reality here is to get to be accepted into God's presence. As God rearranges our hearts and brings this unity of purpose to us, this this focus on who Jesus is, one of the great hopes here is that when we stand before God someday, at the end of our days in this world, when we stand before him, even though we know how broken, we are fully aware we have spent our lives mourning over sin. We have spent our days recognizing that poor spirit because we're, we're so we're attuned to who we really are. And man, nothing would be more intimidating than to stand before the Holy The perfect God of the universe, who has never sinned, has never done anything wrong, and who has the right and responsibility to actually judge us. Nothing should be more frightful except this that we get to see Him, we get to get accepted into His presence. We can walk into His presence without penalty, without fear. One of the promises, what Jesus gives to us here, because again, these are future-looking, and the promise here is that as God brings about this unity of purpose, this purity of heart, it is going to be our only hope to sit there and say, God, how can I stand before You? Because I have mourned. Because I know that there's nothing I can do about this. I've hungered and thirsted for righteousness and you promised that you could give me that righteousness, we can stand in God's presence. Not based on what I've ever done, but because of the forgiveness and the freedom and the acceptance, the adoption that Jesus has brought into my life. That is massive. Take the opposite. What if Jesus were to say to you, you'll never see me again. No more fearful words could ever be uttered to us. So to see God means to be accepted in His presence. The second one is, is kind of like it, but to see God is to be helped. To be comforted by His grace. Would Paul pray, don't turn your face away from me. Don't leave Don't take me out of your presence. To be in the presence of God also means that we're going to receive grace and comfort and help from God for your trials, for your difficulties. In the future, one day, there will be a realigning of all the world. There's a story and God is working that story and everything will finally in the new creation be restored to the way that the world ought to be. And all those negative things, all those things that happen to you, all of your own sin will be removed so completely that you will not spend the rest of eternity grieving over your sin. You will spend the rest of eternity rejoicing over the presence of the One that you're in. That also means he's doing it now. So, when we come to God with that pure heart, when we're asking for that pure heart, what you can expect is grace and mercy, encouragement and help. Because you're going to get to see him. When they go to Scott, usually it's because there's something that's really hurting them (laughs) something right in those teeth. Maybe it's a, you know a cavity or a broken tooth or something, but there's deep need. And what does Scott get to do? He gets to pour out that mercy, that grace to help them in their time of need. In the same way, God says, I can fill that. Your deep hurt, your longing, what someone did to you, guess what? I can take care of that. I can fix that. I can help you with that. The third one that I just want to point out to us, what does it mean to see God? It means that we get to marvel at His glory. We get to be there in His presence, safe, accepted, comforted, grace. So to take the same kind of illustration. Let's take it and turn it towards some famous person. I, I just know like uh, the Irish has got to enjoy uh, seeing the Newsboys last night and I saw a picture of you guys with the band. Why do people take their picture with people from the band? Because there's something... With, yeah, they're famous and we're not. There's something amazing about being in the presence of somebody that you just think, wow, you're different than I am. I don't know who that is. I can remember when we were in Senegal, though. We walked through the village... And and while we were in there, we get to meet, you know, the what was the term there of the, of the village, the elder, the yeah, the vula, okay, the leader, the elder, the the head honcho. It was weighty. In America we don't think that way, because we're all equals. We're all the same. But when you walk into the presence you think, wow, there's something different here. This is the head honcho. It would be the same as if you got to meet maybe the president. It would be the same as if you got to meet, I mean, you you, you pick who that person kind of is, Tom Brady. Uh, if, if you had a chance to, for some of you, that's right, right? Um, but if, if you had a chance to meet, there's something weighty about that, isn't there? Something powerful about that. That's an image for your soul. It's a taste. It's God saying, if you think that matters, guess what it would be like to meet me? And it's meant to fuel that single-purposeness of heart. John Piper said this, there will come a day when God Himself will dwell among us. His glory will no longer be inferred from lightning and mountains and roaring seas and constellations of stars. Instead, our experience of Him will be direct his glory will be the very light in which we move Revelation 21:23 and the beauty of his holiness will be tasted directly like honey on the tongue What does it mean to see God it means to be accepted It means to be helped and comforted by his grace It means to marvel at His glory. How do I get that? It's not by my work. It's not by my golf score. It's also not by my Christian golf score. I get that because God sent Jesus into the world to help broken people like me and to transform me and to help me. And in the same way, God did that for you. Have you come to the point where you've, you've put your trust in Him that way? Have you come to the point where you, where you would sit there and go, God, I don't really treasure You. I don't look forward to knowing You. Would You help me? That's what I'm calling us today. What I do want to make sure we, we're at, though, is please don't ever grow comfortable with a divided heart. It is not what Christianity has to settle for. Ask for more. If, if God gave us Jesus, Romans 8 says, wouldn't, wouldn't He also... Therefore, give us everything. God's not resistant to give you Himself. He's longing to do that today. No matter how broken you are, that's what He's got. Father, help us to be people that pursue uh, You. God, people who do not just take our cues from, from um, I don't know, maybe even our past experiences or our experiences of what other Christians were like. But instead, I just pray that as Wyndham Baptist Church, you would help us to be people that are insatiable in our drive to just know you. God, that we would long for you. Lord, I want to pray right now that if there's some that are struggling with sin, God, we we know that so many, you know, one out of three Protestant evangelical believers struggles with pornography, men and women. God, we know that there's some here who probably feel just so self-sufficient that they can't ask for help, and we know that that's sin. God, there are some who who stand maybe in the place of a Pharisee, and and all they can see is where other people are not lining up, and they're not even aware of what's going on in their own heart. There's some of us that, that maybe we've been harsh with our kids, or we've been judgmental towards our spouse, or we've been angry at certain members of our community, our society. God, we're engulfed right now with this election and it's the only thing that we care about. Somehow we have to preserve our rights. We've got to take care of our world. Lord, please forgive us. Let us understand that those things will never satisfy us. Lord, may we repent. Give us the strength to repent and mourn those sins. But let us feel such relief, such joy, such help, such forgiveness, such transformation power in our lives flowing through being with You. So Lord, may we just walk with You and fall in love with You so that we'll have an undivided heart because we know You and enjoy You in every way. That's what we want. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.